You wouldn't mind taking the Word of God, please, and turning to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33. Ezekiel 33. We'll begin reading with the first verse of the chapter. The Bible says, Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head." He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, if our transgressions and our sins be upon us and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why? Will you die, O house of Israel? We end our reading of God's holy word there this evening and trust that God will add his own blessing to the reading of his word. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, O Lord, we would cry to thee, Lord, send the old time power, that Pentecostal power, that sinners be converted and thy name glorified. Lord, come among us. And Lord, if there's one in the pew this evening that does not know Jesus, does not know where he stands with God, oh, we would plead with thee. Oh, great God of heaven and earth, reach down thy sovereign hand Make bare thine arm and save him for thy glory. Make much of Jesus, we pray. 
for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. I'd like to draw your attention this evening to the 11th verse of the 33rd chapter of Ezekiel. The Bible says, Saying to them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, house of Israel? At the time when Ezekiel writes to the people of Israel, they were consumed with their sin. I think that's evident from the portion that we've been reading. And the watchman was given the duty, not merely of warning the people here of an oncoming army to take their city, but the watchman is Ezekiel to warn people of the judgment coming. The judgment of God. If you look at the text, the prophet warns, why will you die? The death of the wicked. The end of every Christless life is a Christless eternity. We all know the text, Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. The punishment of sin is death. But death is not merely in the Scriptures physical. Death is not merely spiritual. But death is physical, spiritual, and eternal. And from the very beginning when Adam was told, if you do this, Adam, you shall surely die. Adam did not die that day physically, but he died spiritually. And he did die physically. And if he never came to Christ, he would die eternally. See, death, you see, is the separation of a man made in the image of God from his Creator. Now don't misunderstand me. In the place we understand from Scripture called hell, it is not that God is absent from hell. The book of Amos talks about how God is present in hell. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8-9 through 9 says that God will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, from His presence and His glory, they will be punished. But God's presence, in the way we understand of His favorable presence, is not in hell. Man is separated from God. You see, man is created to be satisfied only in God. And without God, man shrivels eternally. Hell is the inevitable result of a soul that is not connected to God. And so the wicked, and every wicked man, a man without God, his soul will shrivel forever. Like a body that has no food will inevitably shrivel up and die and become emaciated. The soul without Christ will be in misery for eternity. And the prophet warns of death. You see, my friend, these people that Ezekiel was prophesying to were on the road to hell. You know there are many on the road to hell tonight. Now many of you look like respectable people, and I know many of you do know the Lord, but I don't know if there's even someone in this small gathering tonight 
does not know the Lord even though they may appear to. Outside of this congregation, there are thousands in this city, millions in our country, and they are on the road to hell. I don't bring you tonight a message that I've learned in school or seminary or just something that I've been taught because I've been brought up in a religious home. There is a God and He has spoken in His Word. If there is a God, and there must be a God, He must reveal Himself. And where has He revealed Himself? In this book. And we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Peter 1 and verse 21. This book is the Word of God. And this book tells us that there is a hell and that many are on the road to hell. And the amazing thing about our text this evening is it's as if the Lord Himself comes down from His lofty place on His holy throne. And he comes to the sinner on the road to hell and he pleads with him. Turn. Turn. Turn ye from your sin. And he asks a piercing question. Why will you die? Why will you die? This is a question that every man, woman, or child that does not know the Lord Jesus needs to answer. Why will you die? Why will you go on the road to hell? Why will you die? Some of you have heard the gospel a thousand times. Why will you die? been brought up with the Word of God and we had a praying mother, a praying father. Why will you die? Why? The Lord really brings three different arguments that make this question all the more piercing and show us the ridiculousness of going on the road to hell. I pray that tonight, if you're on that road, that tonight you would Leave that road. You would hear the pleading voice of the Son of God. First, why will you die when God has no pleasure in your death? Why will you die when God has no pleasure in your death? Our text begins with a solemn oath. Say unto them, as I live. That is a solemn pledge. It's the most solemn of all oaths. It's used throughout the Old Testament. God is saying that as certain as I live, as certain as I exist, as certainly as I exist as the uncreated God, as the eternal, infinite God, so certain is what I am about to tell you. You remember when the Lord Jesus says, verily, verily. This is a verily of infinite proportions. He is setting the honor of His own existence to the truth of what He is about to say. And why does He do that? I'll tell you why. Because it's so hard to believe. <clears throat> so hard to believe that God would have no pleasure 
and the death of the wicked. Our text says very clearly, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The word pleasure means to be pleased with, to delight in, to desire. God has said to delight in many things in the Word of God. He said to delight in doing His Father's will. Christ is said to do that. God is said to delight in Psalm 37 in the way of a righteous man. He said in Isaiah 62 to delight in His people. He even calls them that wonderful name that I love so much, Hephzibah, in whom is all my delight. However, here this word is used in the negative. I have no delight. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You see, this word that he uses, delight, it's not just a cold theological word. This is a word of, of feeling. I have no pleasing affection, no emotion if God were a man. As the Lord Jesus, as He wept over Jerusalem, He was sorrowful over the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know, maybe... Maybe you think this evening, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. How can God have no pleasure in the death of the wicked? Doesn't God send men to hell? Oh, God sends men to hell. The Bible is very clear. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus says, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. Men don't just send themselves there. You mark my words. No sinner wants to go to hell. They might want their sin, but they don't want to go to hell. Hell is the judgment of God. Nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody wants to suffer the wrath of a holy God. Men go there because of their sin. I quoted to you this morning, Revelation chapter 6, when sinners cry to the rocks and mountains, fall upon us and hide us from the face of the wrath of the Lamb. But God did not hide them. I tell you, no man wants to go to hell. No one. But God sends them there. Why does God do that? Well, because God delights in justice. He delights in justice. You see, when a man is put in hell, justice has been served. Now, God did not create that man for hell. God did not make that man go there. It was because of his sin and his choice. And you know the Bible says that in Adam we all died. In Adam we sinned. And now we're all born sinners and that sin of Adam is imputed to us. And we have sinned every day of our lives in thought, word, and deed. Not one person in here, if they saw the atrocities of the Holocaust, would have one bit of remorse for seeing someone like Adolf Hitler or those men in the Nazi concentration camps see them put to capital punishment or see them punished or put into prison. Not one person in here would have any remorse because you want justice to be served. And maybe tonight you think there is no God. I don't, want to be, I don't know if there really is a God. You're telling me that all the sin that has ever been committed, the mass murders of history, 
the atrocities of history will go unjudged and justice will never be served. The wrongs people have done to you, the wrongs they've done to the ones you've loved that will never be judged, that justice will never be met. I tell you, God is going to make everything right one day. And maybe you say, I just wish God would do away with all the evil in this world. But if God does away with all the evil in this world, guess who He has to do away with? You. Because you are evil. And because you have sinned against God, because you are a monstrous sinner, George Whitfield, when he preached, he would hold his head up and he would weep and cry, You're monsters! But you don't think you're monsters. Because you don't understand the weight of sin. You don't understand what it is for a man, a creature who was made in the image of God, who cannot be, you cannot be truly human and not have a relationship with God. You don't know what it is for a man, a man to sin against his Creator, to lift himself up as the divine, to declare what is right and what is wrong, to reject the love of the Savior at the cross of Calvary with blood coming down from His head and feet and hands. You have no idea what it means to sin against God. And God will be just. Every one of your words will one day be brought before the bar of God. Every thought will be brought before the bar of God. The book shall be opened. And the dead, small and great, will stand before God. And they shall be judged out of the things that are written in that book. And the Bible says, No liar shall inherit the kingdom of God. No drunkard shall inherit the kingdom of God. No unbeliever shall inherit the kingdom of God. No adulterer, no fornicator shall inherit the kingdom of God. Justice will be served. And in that sense, the God of heaven, who is holy, delights in justice being served. God never does anything He's not pleased with. Now, there might be some aspects of the results He's not pleased with, but God never does anything He's not pleased with. God is good and righteous. He cannot do anything unrighteous. All His ways are perfect. God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. He cannot do anything He's not pleased with. In, the se in a sense, He is pleased that justice is served. And secondly, He's pleased because He delights in holiness. It is said of the Lord Jesus in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1 and verse 9, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. The Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, He hates sin. His very nature is set against sin. Everything that God is, is the antithesis of sin. And because God delights in holiness, it will be a pleasure to God to eradicate this world to eradicate sin from this world. To eradicate the wicked from among His people. For one day in the new heavens and new earth, there shall be no sinner allowed in. Only those that are His children. Because God cannot have 
sin in his unveiled presence. He is a consuming fire. And in that sense, that is why God can be pleased with his own decision to send men to hell. But please understand me. This verse clearly teaches. You cannot get around it. I don't care what your preconceived notions are, what your theology says. It doesn't matter. And if your theology bucks up against the Word of God, then we better throw our theology to the wind. The Bible says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And sometimes those who are go by the name of Presbyterians, believe in the Westminster Confession of Faith, sometimes call themselves Calvinists, which word I don't like because I don't follow John Calvin and I don't think you do either. And everything he said, I don't follow a man, I follow the Word of God. Sometimes we have a very cold, clinical, uncompassionate view of God. And I tell you that that's not what Calvin himself believed. God has not created any man for hell. God has no pleasure in the death of one sinner. You should read the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon as he preached on 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He has no pleasure in the death of one sinner. Pray tell me, if the Apostle Paul can write in Romans 9 verses 1 through 2, that he has great sorrow and continual heaviness in his heart, that his people are lost, you tell me, that that heart burden for His people did not come from the Holy Ghost? You see, my friends, sometimes we can be a people that have no tears for the lost because we have a view of God, a God who has no tears. But the Lord Jesus, when He was God incarnate, now understand God has no tears, He's a spirit. But when God became incarnate in the body of a man named Jesus, He wept over sinners. I have no pleasure. Then what is meant? It means this. God has no delight in the death of a wicked man as he is viewed as a creature created in the image of God for the glory of God. He does not delight in a man who is made in the image of his creator, an eternal soul, wasting his eternal life in hell. God is not above the bowels of hell, dancing with glee. His heart is broken. He has no pleasure that a wicked sinner would die. And anybody who tells you that God created man to send him to hell is blasphemous. God did not do such a thing. He created men and they fell. And now they go to hell because of their sin and because of God's judgment. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And I plead with you tonight, if you don't know Christ, the Lord has no pleasure in your death. He's not looking at you tonight like a cold judge waiting to damn you. No, He wants you to be saved. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want you. If I could just put it as simply as this, God does not want you to go to hell. 
You say, that doesn't sound theologically correct. It's the word of God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He does not want anyone to die. And oh, may that permeate his church and give us a burden. Which leads me to the second thing that is shown here clearly. The Bible says, secondly, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. So not only negatively does God have no delight that a man would go to hell, but also I ask you the question, why will you die when God delights in your salvation? There's a wonderful text in Luke chapter 15. Verse 6, the Lord Jesus, He comes home, He calls together His friends and neighbors, and He says, Rejoice with Me, for I found My sheep, My sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Verse 9, and when she hath found it, that coin, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace that I have lost. Likewise, says Jesus, I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. God delights in saving sinners. He delights in saving men and women and children. It gives Him great joy. You see it written right here in the Word of God. Rejoice with me. Sometimes this passage is described as if the angels are, are saying, strike up the choir, sound the horn. And the angels are saying, let's sing. Let's sing because a sinner's come home. But that's not what the verses say. The verses say, Jesus says, rejoice with me. Who's striking up the angel choir? It's Jesus. You see, the angels are beckoned to rejoice with Jesus, with the second person of the Trinity, and therefore with God. And when a sinner comes home, I want you to know that all of heaven is fill, filled with joy and filled with praises and filled with delight. And my brothers and sisters, why is there delight in heaven but so often not delight in us? That Jesus rejoices. Do you see His heart's burden for the salvation of souls? That He delights a sinner would come home. When that prodigal son came home, that father, as I preached another time when I was here, he came running. Why? Because he couldn't wait for his son to come home. He delights in saving sinners. And you tonight, if you're lost, God delights in saving you. You see how, how willing, how ready He is to save you. He is so willing to save you. Call upon Him. Believe upon Him. He's so willing. He delights. He wants to save. He wants there to be joy in heaven tonight that one of His sheep has come home. But what is a scope? How many sinners does he delight in? Oh, some say he just delights in a few coming. He just delights in those whom he has chosen to come. He doesn't desire that anyone else would come. Oh, I believe. 
I believe in that doctrine. That before the foundation of the world, God chose them unto eternal life. And what it says in 1 Thessalonians, that He has chosen us unto eternal life, I understand that. I understand that. But only because I'm in a church here, which we call ourselves Presbyterian, etc., etc., I want to quote for you from Calvin himself. Calvin says this about 2 Peter 3.9, God's not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. He says, so wonderful is His love towards mankind that He would have them all to be saved. Let me repeat myself. This is Calvin. So wonderful is His love towards mankind that He would have them all to be saved and is of His own self prepared to bestow salvation on the lost. Spurgeon said, It is God's wish that all men should be saved, for assuredly He is not less benevolent than we are. You're telling me that we are to be desirous that every man, woman, and child come to Jesus, and God is not? You see, the Lord desires all to be saved. Now, you may say that doesn't make sense because the Scriptures are clear that only some will come. That's true. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up the last day. John 6.37 All that the Father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. And we know that the Lord promises that no man can come except I draw him. In the end of John chapter 6 it says that only ones that can come are the ones to whom He has given the gift to come. I understand that. And I know that not all men will be saved. But there is a difference between God's revealed will and His hidden will. You see, He has a revealed will. What He desires, what His wish is. And if you don't like the term wish, I'm simply using Spurgeon's term. Wish. That's His revealed will. That's His heart, if you will. His desire. He wishes that every single man, woman, and child will be saved. But no one will come. No one will be saved. And so we know from His decretive will, from His hidden will, that He has said very clearly that He has ordained, like He says in the book of Acts, many believe that we're ordained to eternal life. And when Spurgeon was asked, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? He said, there's no need to reconcile friends. I can't explain it to you. To be frank with you, I don't want to explain it to you. I want to set before you the two glorious truths of God's sovereignty and God's great love for every soul and desire that every single man, woman, and child would be saved. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way. You tell me how to take that text if not that way. He doesn't say, but that the cert, but that the few would turn. He says, but that the wicked would turn. That's all wicked would turn. He's not willing that any should perish. He's willing that all should come to repentance. Even you. Oh, He would save you. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Oh, He will save. 
in a heartbeat. There's one wonderful text that says God is ready to pardon. He's ready. It says if God is, if I may speak without being in any way blasphemous, it's as if he is craning his neck over the balcony of heaven. I'm ready to pardon any that would come. God is ready to pardon any that will come to him. There's a story told of the famous preacher D.L. Moody. I'm sure you've heard of him, a famous American. And when he was a famous American preacher, he had a young man named Henry Morehouse come and preach for him. He really didn't want to let him preach. He wanted to be the one to preach in his pulpit. But he allowed Henry Morehouse to come. And he told his wife, listen, you only let him preach one sermon. And if it's a good sermon, you can let him keep preaching. But if it's a bad sermon, you stop him in his tracks. And no doubt he thought this Henry Morehouse would preach a very bad sermon. But when Mr. Moody came back, he asked his wife how he did. And she said this, he's much better than you, Mr. Moody, because he tells people that God has love for sinners. Moody snapped back, God hates sinners. Well, Psalm chapter 5, Psalm 5 says he hates all workers of iniquity. But that's not the whole story, brethren. We must take all of Scripture into account. God so loved the world, all of mankind. Moody went to the sermon that night when Morehouse preached. And he went there to criticize Morehouse. He went there to say how Morehouse didn't preach sound doctrine, didn't preach the right way. But by the end of that message, Mr. Moody was on the altar with tear-filled eyes, begging God to open his heart and eyes to the love of God. Do you know, believer, a burden for souls? I was in class with Dr. Cairns and he talks about the prayer meetings they used to have in Northern Ireland. That people would be in tears. They would weep through the middle of the night praying that God would save sinners. We come to the place where we become cold and lost a burden for souls. We come to the place where we have no more burden. And I tell you, we don't have the heart of God. The story is told of when Dr. Paisley preached. I think they said thousands, perhaps tens of thousands were in the streets. And as he preached, sinners, people would come out of their houses shaking, crying out, what must I do to be saved? Meetings where sinners were staggering like drunken men up the aisle, crying to God to save them. And I tell you something, it's not because some preachers stood up there, it's because God's people were praying. And we need to pray. We need to cry to God. God, give me a burden for souls. And get before God until God gives you and I such a burden for souls. And our eyes are filled with tears that once were dry and were burdened that God would save. You can't force yourself to pray. I don't want to put you and I through some guilt trip. You need to pray, you need to pray, you need to pray. I don't want to put you through a guilt trip. And I told you this morning, you have the favor of God. He loves you as you are in Christ. 
But oh, if you would get close and I would get close to Jesus, his heart and our hearts may beat a little bit closer. I knew a missionary that had a burden for souls and he told me one time, the only way you'll get a burden for souls is on your knees. Wouldn't it be wonderful if in our day we would see men and women saved? I've seen sinners with tears falling down to the ground weeping over sin. And oh, that God would do it again. Oh, that the days would return. I think especially tonight, and I'm sure you'll hear when Dr. Cairns comes and speaks about the Free Presbyterian Church, if I might just say a word from my heart to you, the burden of the Free Presbyterian Church in Northern Ireland, it was not all about theology. It was not all about Reformed theology. It was all about winning souls for Jesus, for standing against apostasy and mighty praying to God. I'm thankful for standards that we hold, but that's not the heartbeat. And if we merely have the standards and just a skeleton without the heart, we're nothing. And what we need is a baptism of the Holy Ghost of God to give us a flaming burden for sinners that they might be saved, that Jesus might receive glory. Oh, the fields are white for harvest. Oh, that the saints of God might once again know what it is to place their heads in their hands and weep. I was asked of Robert Murray McShane's steward, the one who took care of his church, what made Robert Murray McShane such a powerful preacher. And the man said, I'll tell you what, just come over here and sit in his desk. And he sat in his desk. And he said, now just take your head and put it in your hands and weep. Such was his burden. And oh, that God would give us that burden. And you, if you're not saved, I am ashamed and apologize at my lack of burden this evening as I stand before you, a pitiful ambassador for Jesus, a poor representative of the gospel. But oh, that if Jesus was able to have more of me, you would see me broken before you, pleading with you to be saved. And oh, I wish you'd see Jesus and see him only this evening. I am merely a mouthpiece. He is pleading with you, turn from your wicked way. Why will you die? Why will you go to hell? I have no pleasure in your death. I want to save you. Why will you go to hell? And then third, we see from this text 
Why will you die when God offers you life? Look at what the Lord says. But that the wicked would turn from his way and live. And live. God offers life. It's a sincere offer. Jesus' death, Christ's death, can save any soul. There's no one for whom His blood cannot avail. It's not that He, he just simply shed His blood for, a, for just a select few and has nothing to do with anyone else. His blood can save any soul. It can save you. His blood is sufficient to save all. And I plead with you to see that God offers you life. You tell me, would it be right if I were to say to you, you do such and such work for me and I'll pay you $100 when I'm bankrupt? Would it be right for God to offer you life when there is no life for you? Would it be right for God to offer you forgiveness when there is no blood to forgive? He makes a sincere offer. The blood of Christ is efficient, effectual for His people, but sufficient for all of the world. His blood is enough to save 10,000 worlds, 10 billion worlds. And I plead with you to see that God offers you life. The Lord says, if you will turn, I will give you life. Simply turn. Just turn. You say, I don't feel that I can give up my sin. I don't feel I have enough faith. It's not about the amount of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. Come, Come with, with little faith. Come with, with faith full of doubt. Come with faith that is so full of doubt. But if you have one little itsy bitsy bit of faith, cast it on Jesus. Just come and say, Lord, my faith is so small. I don't feel that I can even believe upon you. But look at Him. Him whose wounds bore your sin away. His whose perfect life gives you a perfect righteousness and trust in Him. Take your pitiful faith and lay it on the Savior. We all have a pitiful faith, don't we? We have a, a great Savior, but we don't have great faith. And God does not require great faith. He simply re requires faith in the Son. You say, I don't think I can repent of my sin. My sins are too many. You don't need at this moment to become a mature Christian, but simply to have a heart attitude that I am willing to forsake my sin. I am willing to make Jesus Lord. I am willing to follow Him. God offers you life. He holds it outstretched. And He says, live. In fact, He commands you Turn, turn. Why will you die? Why will you die? 
Please tell me. Please tell me. Why will you die? Tell me. Tell me. Is your sin sweeter than Christ? Is hell better than heaven? Why? Why will you die? Give me some argument. Give me some reason. Are you just unreasonable? You're just flatly rebellious. I will not turn. Why will you die? You're being unreasonable. You're being foolish. Why will you die? God says, I don't want you to die. I, I'm willing to save you. If only you would turn. If only you would believe. If only you would just trust in me. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. I'll save you. I'll save you now. Why will you die? You're on the road to hell. Why will you die? You're on the road to wreck your life and waste your life. Why will you die? Why? Why will you go on? You know you're miserable. Why will you go on to die? Why? There's only one reason why you will go to hell tonight. When you walk out of this church, and it is because you have rejected the love of Jesus. Damnation is all of man. Salvation is all of God. It is your sin. It is your will that will not turn. And oh, that you would turn to Jesus and live and live. Oh, will you live tonight? Just as I am without one plea. His blood was shed for me. Do you hear the words of the hymn? Just as I am. Come in all your brokenness. Come in all your sin. Come in all your filth. Come in all your rags. The Lord says, Come just as you are. Come to me. I'm not looking for anything in you. I'm looking to my Son. Come to me. He that hath the Son hath life. But he that hath not the Son hath not life. And yet you will leave tonight. You'll go out on the road and you will drive home and you will go on your way to hell. And you have no one to blame but yourself. For God has come before you and pled with you and argued with you and besought you. Come, come, turn Oh, if you could see Jesus on the cross in His blood and agony and all of His blood in His love and see Him plead with you. Why will you die? Turn ye, turn ye from your wicked ways. Oh, that you would see Him risen and exalted as the King o'er heaven and earth looking upon you, commanding you, turn Turn from your sin. And yet you will not turn. This is why salvation is of the Lord. Oh, brothers and sisters, will you pray? Pray with me now as we pray that God will save and bring men and women here and save the lost in all our churches. And pray when you get home. Pray that the Lord will save. Let's end with a word of prayer.
Our Father in heaven, we thank thee, Lord, for thy mercy to condescend to men, to plead with us that sinners might be saved. O Father, we plead with Thee, have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. And Lord, help us as Thy people. O Lord, that we would see in our day sinners being saved again. The saints burdened for the glory of Jesus again. O Holy Ghost of God, Spirit of the living God, fall on us, we pray. Purge us of every sin and stain and make us like thyself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.